Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Oh, well, if you've been around, you know that we are uh, in a series called Spiritual Growth Series. Um, that we've been kind of highlighting some different places that could be weak points for any of our lives, working on our foundation as we get ready for um, what we're going to start launching into here in a couple of weeks at uh, our 20th anniversary uh, celebration. So again, make sure that you got that on your calendar. I'll talk about that a little bit more at the end. But um, through this, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I know that it's two weeks away because I just had to answer my wife a couple of days ago when she was asking me the question, how many more weeks do I have to look at that puke green background? Yes. She hates this background. Yes. And I said, I might carry it over to the new series. What? Well, honey? Is there anybody else that is colorblind? And, yeah, yeah, colorblind? Okay, yeah, because it's beautiful. It's God. It's godly. It's, it's heavenly. It's what? My hat? Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Well, if you remember, we started this at Christmas, so that makes sense. Um, so last week we talked a little, bit, a little bit about having a distinctive lifestyle. That, and we had the question asked, what is in your life, what happens as far as how you think, how you act, the mentality that you bring to this life, the things that you do for other people, that others can look at and say, that's different. And of course I expect that from Heather, or I expect that from Sandy, or I expect that from, well, the, I'm just kidding, Allie, or whoever the case would be. Because they're a Christian. Like, what, what is distinctive in your life? And if there's not, then what areas can we be working on? I want to build on that a little bit this week uh, as well, as talking about how to um, go into kind of that, uh, that self-examination. How, to, how to, with the Holy Spirit leading us, how can we look at these areas of our lives to make sure that we're in step with Him? But as I was going through this study this week, it reminded me of this uh, children's series that when I was growing up back in the 70s, um, we had a um, library in the back of our church, back behind the baptismal. And in it, they had uh, all kinds of different books and stuff. It was pretty, actually a pretty impressive little library for a church out in the middle of a cornfield. And there was a children's series of the Heroes of the Faith. And I, I got, I pulled one up just to kind of see like what we're getting or whatnot with a little cartoon version of it and whatnot. And I was wondering, does anybody else remember this kind of stuff when you were growing up at all? Okay, Donna? Just, just Donna and I. Nobody else? The parent you know? Okay, 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 okay. Who, what, what was your favorite one? Like, if you were going to look at one for Bible Hero, if you are going to eBay it up, what? Yeah. Daniel Lyons. Tammy? Yeah. Oh, okay, so you're cheating off for Donna? I'm <laughs> just kidding, baby. At this point, it's been too long. <laughs> well, just any Bible hero. I, I don't remember the, the titles, but I remember the books. Okay. The ones I read. Okay. Anybody else remember, like, a favorite book? Tim. David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Good. 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 Huh? Samson? That was my favorite, baby. <laughs> it's a flip book. Miracles do happen now in this stage. But, and I got this because I, was, I, was, I wanted to look at Samson. And uh, about this, I got to looking at it, and it's it's and understandably so because everything you know is on the on the proper level of where we're at. But Samson in this sucker comes off like quite the hero. 
he's like a comic book hero. He never messes up. He, it's just all about his vic victory over this and victory over that, um, which we know as we get older, we start finding out maybe that wasn't quite the full story of Samson. And um, so when it comes to self-evaluation, that, that's the life I want to look at um, today with you. And we're going to go to Judges. I think it's Judges 11? Am I? 13. 13. There we go. Judges 13. And look at an area of life with Samson that uh, is definitely not in this book. And I really don't think we look at as much as we should to fully understand the, uh, the whole scope of Samson's story and how some self-evaluation could have been a really, really good thing for the man. So uh, we're going to look at his birth, actually. So, again, Judges 13, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the baskets around the room underneath the chairs. You can borrow those or steal one or take one home. Uh, version is up and running. If you use that Bible app, you can look for local live events. It will give you all the scriptures and places to leave prayer requests and, and whatnot. But 13 is digging into the foretelling of Samson. It's not Samson's life yet, but the foretelling that Samson is to come. Uh, so we know that, um, again, we see Jesus being foretold, right? I mean, obviously that's a, that's a big one, the Messiah is to come. We see John the Baptist is foretold as fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies that were there for generations before uh, John the Baptist was born. We see... Um, you know, Abraham being told about Isaac, and if he was faithful, that, that would have saved a lot of headaches, not just for him, but for us today as well. But uh, Isaac was foretold. Usually when we see a foretelling, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big person that's coming onto the scene. And we find this is supposed to be the case with Samson as well. So we're going to, uh, again, just read a little, talk a little. We'll start out in verse 1. And it says, And the people of Israel, again, did was, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. The reason they put that there is it's, it's defining the problem. They're defining the problem of what, what the wall of Samson was supposed to be. And we see they constantly are going back and forth between slavery and freedom. It's a relationship with the Lord goes back and forth. It's not because God's a mean God wants to keep smacking him upside the head. It's because when he is, we're being led by him, it's to lead us away from those kind of situations. So when we continue to sin and we continue to change the world, there's ripple effects that come from that, and this is the ripple effect that they're at. So in the middle of this problem, so I have verse 2, there was a certain man uh, of Zoah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. Again, we see this oftentimes, uh, that God likes to do the impossible. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, again, not her husband, just to make sure, because it's kind of easy to, to confuse us too if we're not watching the verbiage or somebody beside you just distracted you for a second, uh, is to the wife that he comes to, the angel of the Lord. And he says in verse 3, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a, a Nazarite, to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So that's his, his role. A um, few things to note within this. Again, he's a special kid. They have the foretelling, but also the foretelling from the angel of the Lord. Now, this, what I'm about to say is not a fact. It's a theory that I happen to subscribe to. But what you see in the word you're stuck with, what I just come up with, you can pick and choose what you like. There's many uh, who believe when you come across the verbiage 
the angel of the Lord, like we see in verse 3, that's an Old Testament reference to Jesus. Might not be, but if it is, isn't that pretty cool? The, the, you know, to have Jesus showing up, either way, an angel of the Lord is pretty impressive. And he comes and tells her that her son's going to be set apart for that purpose of saving Israel from the hand of the Philistines, and he's going to be Nazarite. Now, Nazarite, while it might not sound overly common to you and I today, maybe some of us, but in that time, that was a common uh, role. That, that was, I am set apart for God. You are set apart for a particular purpose. And there were several regulations that came with being a Nazarite, including not having your hair cut or shaved, not taking in uh, eating of unclean food, according to the Old Testament law, and uh, not drinking of any alcohol whatsoever. So he's coming saying, hey, this is going to happen. It's going to be a miracle. It's going to be an incredible child. It's gonna, he's going to save the Israelites. And since he's a Nazarite, you cannot drink. You cannot eat of this unclean food. You, because the fetus is a human, right? The fetus is, is a real deal. Same way that John the Baptist as a fetus, celebrated Jesus as a fetus, this is something that started from conception. And so you can't do it or else you're taking and undercutting the vow that he's, that he's made, that God's called him to, even though he hasn't been born yet. That's crazy stuff. That's crazy stuff. And you, as you can imagine, it would probably be pretty overwhelming. Now, notice that she thinks it's a man. She just thinks it's a man. She doesn't realize it's an angel of the Lord yet. But nonetheless, it really shakes her. And when you go through verse... Uh, two through five, no, uh, what would that be, six through seven. Um, she goes home and she tells her husband everything. She's like, you're not going to believe this. This guy showed up. This is what he told me. So picking up from that, Manoah is kind of thrown by this. So in verse eight, Manoah prays to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, please let the man, see, you still think it's a guy, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we ought to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat out in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. This is going to start a trifecto of things that just blows my mind. Um, first off, I'm not sure why he came back to the woman when the guy was praying that he comes to him. I, I, I'm sure we could have a theological four-hour thing on that and go deeper in the study. I decided not to. That's not really the point of this particular uh, message or, or study that we're doing. Um, but so let's, let's say the angel of the Lord is not Jesus, but just a high-ranking angel of the Lord. It's kind of weird that he shows up and says, hey, I'm here again. And she goes, wait a tick. You know what I mean? Like, even if she thinks it's me, just from the angel's perspective, like, I've got nothing better to do than now to sit and wait for your husband to show up. And so, in my biblical educated imagination, for the next 20 minutes, 30 minutes, the angel of the Lord, maybe possibly Jesus, is just hanging out in the field kicking stones while she goes and gets her husband and comes back. That's crazy. It just shows that patience of the Lord, the beauty, I think, of the patience of the Lord. And so, verse 11, Manoah finds out about this. He rises, he goes out with his wife, came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, now, when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is the mission? Notice the faith statement that said, when this comes true, so he's already in, what's the manner of life? What, what, what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. This is like patience number two for me. He didn't say anything new. 
There's nothing new there. Just that Jesus or just angel decided to come, hang out in the field for half an hour until he showed up to tell him the exact same information and not even be frustrated by it. So we still see this, this patience of God over and over again. Verse 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you. Wait, please let us make you wait longer and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a born offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. And now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. So, again, we have a very strong start for good old Samson. Very strong start. We have the patience of the Lord. We have the announcements of the Lord. We have the revelation of the Lord. And we have a stated mission he's going to have. He's going to free God's people from the Philistines. It's stated twice over. We, we know what the, the goal is. But unlike this little book, it doesn't go real well. Right? It doesn't go real well. He makes a lot of really stupid, sinful decisions. Now, at the end... He takes and ends up having victory over the Philistines because God does beautiful things with the crap that we hand him. But it wasn't because Samson nailed it all the way through. First off, Samson married a, uh, a Philistine woman. And his parents are like, what are you doing? You can't marry, you got to marry within the Jewish nation. Why, why are you marrying into the enemy? And he's like, I want what I want. And his parents, being strong real people, said, okay. And so he married a Philistine woman. Keep in mind, I'm not sure, I don't think a lot of people really put this connection together. By the time we get to Delilah and his love affair with Delilah over here, did you, do you know that's an affair? He's already married. Not only is this one an affair, but when he hooks up from a, with a harlot from Gaza, that's an affair. He's a womanizer all the way through his life. He's not being pure in any way, shape, or form from that standpoint. As far as, one of the other things as a, as a Nazarite, you're not allowed to have anything to do with carcasses. Human animals, whatever the case may be, it's unclean. Not allowed to do anything with, with animals. But yet we have a story of him being hungry and he comes across, uh, he comes to this lion carcass that has a honey hive inside of it because it's burst open. Bees made his hive and he reaches in and gets honey for himself. You don't do that without touching the lion. When he takes and defeats a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, it's a jawbone of a donkey. He's laying on the side. It's a great miracle, great strength, great, incredible what God, God does through the man. But he's constantly getting in the face of what God called him to do. He was a partier. He, he ate a lot. He liked the attention. He had an extremely huge ego to the point that I think it blinded him. For him to go with Delilah and she's trying to figure out what his strength is. You remember that little game he kept playing with her? Well, if you just buy me with new ropes, da, da, da. And then next thing he knows, he's bound with new ropes, and then he breaks out of it, and he's like, ha, ha, ha. Did he ever stop and think, wait a minute, I told Delilah that, and then it happened. Maybe I don't want to be hanging out with this chick anymore. Right? He does like three times over because he th he's so cocky, he thinks there's just no way she's going to get him, even though he tells her the truth about the hair. And when that happens, and he's arrested, and he's put into prison, and he is, has his eyes gouged out, and he goes into slavery, and they're pulling him out as a public spectacle and laughing at him, because he was supposed to be the great savior of the people, it's very close to, and I know you guys have been waiting for this, a little Star Wars reference. 
You're welcome. When Obi-Wan standing over Anakin, who is defeated on the lava planet, and he's screaming at him, you were supposed to be the chosen one. Give you a moment to deal with that emotion. Right? That's, that, that's a Samson. You were supposed to be the one who delivered us from all this. You were the one that's supposed to be. So this incredible life that gets started out trashes hard, and then God has the victory because God is God. He comes back at the last second, gives God one last time, give me the strength, and God has his way. But what would his life have been at any point in any of this that he just stopped and self-evaluated a little bit and said, I'm off track? I'm off track. What if he made some different decisions? What if he made some different sacrifices? What if he went a different way instead of I want what I want? And if we're honest, a lot of us struggle in areas of our lifestyle that we do that. And we do that, and we're not self-correcting. Um, and it leads to, to, to really painful moments. I, I really wonder what Samson's story would have looked like if he just submitted to God instead of continually trashing it over and over and over again. It would have been very, very different chap chapters. Um, I, I truly believe this. I think it probably would have helped also if his parents kind of stepped up a little bit. You go through this place where you fall on your face before God because of this incredible miracle and promise of the Lord. And then you just kind of let your kids do what the kids do because you don't want to take and have a fight with them. But it's Samson. It's Samson. So that, that's, that's kind of an individual story within checking yourself uh, before the Lord with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me look at it with you. Um, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 11. So I want to look at it from a church standpoint, not a single page story. That was weird. Okay, 2 <laughs> uh, Corinthians, New Testament, right? Verse 11. Um, and look at um, what does it look like, again, from a, a church body. There we go, Chuck. A little highlight escaped from you. Um, what Corinth was dealing with at this point in this particular letter is they've had false teachers come in to their church, and they are basically teaching false things, and they are talking about uh, Paul and questioning his authority and whether he's an apostle at all, and trying to cause a lot of discord. And so a lot of this letter is dealing exactly with that, why he's on the road um, of saying, this is why you should push them to the side. This is why you should follow the truth as we present it. Um, and it makes an argument for it. This particular verse, uh, starting out in 11, um, he says, for someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Th this is the challenge that they're, they're going through in this particular church. In chapter 11, I'm going to start in verse 16. I'll be honest with you, it um, doesn't have a whole heck of a lot to do with the main scope of today's message. I'm sharing it with you for two reasons. One, because I love this scripture. Uh, I, again, I'm a believer that we need to be confident in who we are in the Lord and not cocky. And I, see, I think we see that in Paul here. And I think it's a positive example of what happens when you're constantly examining yourself and constantly trying to lean it back into where God calls you to be, that you can make a list like this and do it without a red face, even though he does say that he's kind of foolish for what he's doing. So in the middle of this, while they have these false teachers and they're talking Paul down, uh, he decides to make his case of why he's the real deal and the others are not, and why they should listen to him and not the others. So verse 16, I'll just read through this real quick, and then we'll get to the main point. He goes, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool 
so that I too may boast a little. What am I am saying with this boasting, um, boastful confidence? I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since most boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. In other words, you know the truth. You're dealing with these guys, so I'll just go on their level for a couple of minutes. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on arrows or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of. Are they Hebrews? Hey, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night and hungry and thirsty, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not, uh, not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, now knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas uh, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Anybody want to apply to be an apostle? Right? He's like, listen, if you really want to match resumes, I'll match resumes with you. Because he is constantly being willing, and trust me, we know that Paul made his own mistakes, but he's constantly willing to come back to, continue to move forward to, and continue to sacrifice. Why? Because he loves the Lord and he loves the church. And that is, that is why he was able to have such confidence. However, he does have a, uh, a mission for them to do. We'll go over to chapter 13 when it comes to this situation that they find themselves in. He writes in verse 1, This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while I'm absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. In other words, he's, they're fighting words. He's fight, he, we're going to deal with this. Verse 3, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in, in dealing with you. He is powerful among you. He was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. This is the most Christian nice way of saying I'm about ready to kick butt that you're ever going to find in the scripture. Paul, Paul is being very, very honest, honest with them. This is not something that, that we're supposed to water down. This is something we have to deal with. So verse 5, this is, this is what I've been driving towards. Examine yourself. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though you may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me, but for building up, not for tearing down. Okay, I haven't forgotten the note takers, and I didn't put that green screen up there just to annoy my wife. So, if you want some notes, here's some things that this particular section takes and encourages you to do, to examine yourself. In this particular writing, it's talking to us as individuals and us as the church. Examine yourselves. I examine me, we examine ourselves. Are we in the faith? Not whether or not we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, not whether or not we believe that there's a God, but are we living in the faith? At least we looked at last week as far as the world aspect and the beatitude aspect and the rewards from the beatitude aspect. When we're looking at that, are you living like that, that list two living instead of the first? Are you in the faith? Are you truly following into the faith? Because this is a test to see if Christ is in you. And then he prays for self-correction because 100% of the time when we correct ourselves as the Holy Spirit leads, it's always, always, always more comfortable than when God has to correct us because we ignore him. He loves us too much to ignore us. He loves us too much to let us consider it, so stay in the muck and the mire and the sin. But it's always better when we catch it and we correct it than when God has to step in. It's a, it's a loving period parent aspect of things that, that we see within our own reflection of who he is. Uh, and then the rebuke is there for building up and not tearing down. It is not his desire to tear down. It's the desire for you to be built up in the Lord and for the church to be built up in the Lord. Uh, this is probably about the closest biblical reference we're going to get to uh, a parent spanking a child on the butt saying, this is going to hurt me more than hurt you. No? Sarita, <laughs> have we mentioned, have you heard that phrase before? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not fun to be on either side of it. And that's what he's saying here. It, I, but we're going to address this with the power of God so that you are built up, church. So you build up, Christian. So last week I mentioned that there was one main question that we had, and that this week we're going to have 22 questions. And I didn't lie. 22 questions coming your way. Uh, but I will not make you write them down. I'm going to hand them to you on a piece of paper just to make it easy. Or we'll be here all day, right? But um, the purpose for this particular question is so that we are helping in our discipleship of others to you to be able to grow in our ability to self-correct. In areas outside of gosh darn it, I know I keep doing that same dumb thing over and over again. How do we, do we go deeper than that? So um, let's see. Who do we want to be Paso outers today? Who's just dive, dying to like it? Heather has experience in this. So I'll bring yes. Heather in. Um, huh? Who are you pointing at? Katie, I think you're pointing at Allie, and I know Allie will not get up. She will not get up. She will not do it. Adam, oh, ah. Full 
for the building up in the miracles of Jesus Christ. <laughs> one for everybody, please. I'm going to still one. Thank you, madam. Everybody gets their half. Everybody gets their half. Everybody gets their half. Make sure. Let me explain where these 22 questions come from. Um, these are the small group questions from John Wesley's Holy Club, which was started in 1729. So we're going back almost, what, 300 years? 300 years. Uh, John Wesley might know the name of. He was the father of the Methodist uh, denomination um, and a, a huge theologian. He was at this time 16 years old, and he started a group with some other folks as well. Do we have enough for everybody? Everybody's good? Uh, Lisa? You didn't get well, Heather can get it in the middle. Heather's going to have extras, and everybody's pretending like they're doing a big sacrifice by giving up a sheet of paper. <laughs> Anyways, but, uh, so he was a young man uh, at the University of Oxford, and this group of men decided they were going to meet four nights a week and on, sun, on the Sabbath. So for the, uh, the, to see, even though the Lord's Day is Sunday, I think they, they met on Saturdays, if I remember correctly. And uh, as part of the personal devotions, these are the 22 questions that they decided to ask um, themselves every time, every day, to make sure that they were challenging themselves to grow in the Lord. Uh, the Holy Club is what it was called. That was not their name for it. Uh, much like us being called Christians in the uh, town of Antioch as a slam uh, by the outsiders. Look at them saying, oh, they just look so much like Jesus, we'll just call them Christ-like. Uh, and it ends up being a good thing. Uh, that's what happened here. This is other students saying, these guys, they're the holy club. They just really have it all together. Uh, but pretty much every name that came out of that group, uh, maybe I'll share this out some other time, but uh, they all did big things, big things for the Lord. And so with this... Um, it comes these 22 questions that I submit to you to possibly consider doing the same. If not once, then often. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.